Okay, so over the course of this retreat, Greg and I are going to be offering plenty of instructions based on the core sutta or discourse for the whole of the insight practice, which is the Satipatthana Sutta, also known as the four foundations of mindfulness or the four domains of attention. And I know many of you are somewhat familiar with this uh, progressive path of practice that the Buddha laid out. The first of these four foundations we've been exploring already in terms of mindfulness of the body. And when we work with this first foundation of mindfulness, it's a very powerful opportunity to really refine our mindfulness to begin to bring awareness to more and more subtle aspects of our physical experience. And there's really no limit to what we can discover about being a human being when we really bring awareness to our embodiment. So earlier today, Greg mentioned the phrase, sit and know that you're sitting. That comes from, I understand, from Munindraji, who was one of Joseph Goldstein's first teachers. And he's said to have said, sit and know that you're sitting, and the whole of the Dharma, the teachings or the truth, will be revealed. And, you know, on one level that sounds so simple as to almost be barely even worth saying, but... I think particularly these days, so many of us live so much in our heads that, uh, in our intellects that it's actually quite challenging to bring awareness to the body. And when we begin to try to do this, the first thing that many of us notice is that, uh, how quickly we move into concepts about our experience, our assessments and analysis and story and perceptions and views and opinions and beliefs of all kinds. It sometimes seems that anything is better than simply being present with the immediacy of what's happening in the body. So we also start to notice how much of the time we're living either in the past or the future, lost in regrets, fantasies, worries, daydreams and so on. But when we pay attention to the body, one of the great benefits of mindfulness of the body is that physical sensations happen in the present moment. So when we're paying attention to the body right there, we're immediate with our direct experience. And this makes mindfulness of the body a very powerful uh, skill that we can practice to help us come out of being lost in thought and being present with the immediacy of our experience. And I refer to this uh, as body literacy because I think so many of us um, do need training in learning this particular skill. And just because the first foundation of mindfulness is the first foundation, that doesn't mean it's a practice just for beginners. It's really something that we continue to refine through our entire life of practice. We refine it and we train in refining it, knowing our experience with as little reactivity as possible. So this is a really core aspect of mindfulness. Greg mentioned that briefly in the instructions before lunch to practice what's known as bare awareness or bare attention. 
And this term is really referring to the capacity to be with our experience exactly as it is, without adding our usual habitual reactivity to it. You know, as human beings, we tend to have this automatic tendency to go into liking or disliking or judging, analyzing or worrying or fantasizing and so on. So it takes training to learn how to become intimate with the immediacy of our experience instead of getting caught in our reactions to it. So this is, uh, these reactions in Buddhist terminology are known as proliferation. And this term proliferation refers to the tendency to create a whole, basically a cloud of reactivity to experience. So there's a famous teaching that the Buddha gave in relation to this that many of you are probably familiar with, the discourse on the two darts or the two arrows. And in this teaching, the Buddha used the analogy of someone being shot by a dart or an arrow. Pretty obviously, that will be a painful experience. But he went on to say that for someone who doesn't have any mental training, no meditation practice, the tendency is to create even more distress for themselves by sorrowing and grieving and weeping and lamenting, which is equivalent to adding a whole pile more darts to that original painful experience. On the other hand, someone who does have mental training, a meditation practitioner, they would be able to know the painful physical experience as a painful physical experience. That doesn't mean that it wouldn't still hurt, probably a lot, but there wouldn't be the added distress of the second dart of mental reactivity on top of the physical pain. So as we all know, though, I think most of us don't just stop at two darts. You know, if we have an unpleasant physical sensation, we tend to add another one, and then we add a dart to that dart, and then a fifth, and a tenth, and a twentieth, and so on. And then we end up caught in a whole pile of proliferation that usually makes the situation a whole lot worse. So this training in bare awareness is really a key aspect of mindfulness. And it's particularly helpful, useful on the first few days of a retreat when most of us are experiencing varying degrees of discomfort as our bodies get used to being still for longer. These are the unpleasant physical sensations that we might ordinarily think of as pain. And when we come to a retreat and we start to encounter discomfort, There are two very common responses to this pain. One is to think that we're supposed to somehow just drill down into the pain and tough it out and be with it and be with it, noting pain, 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 until it feels like our whole body's about to explode. This is not a recommended or helpful strategy. It's really, you, that would just lead to a whole pile of tension in the body and uh, agitation in the mind. It can even strengthen aversion, which as many of you know, is one of the five classical hindrances, these things that get in the way of seeing clearly. And we'll be talking more about the hindrances later on in the retreat. 
So one very common way of dealing with pain is to try and tough it out. The second is try to, to try to avoid it. So the nanosecond we encounter any kind of discomfort, we might move, get up and leave. And as I said earlier this morning, that tendency just leads to a whole lot of restlessness and agitation because, as you probably have noticed, the more we move, the more we want to move. I don't know about you, but I've sometimes noticed how meditation seems to have this kind of half-life phenomenon. So maybe halfway through the meditation, we get some kind of, say, knee pain and say, I'll just move. And then we think, well, the retreat, the session must be almost finished. And we look and it's actually only halfway to the end. So we move a little bit more and then think, okay, now we're getting really close. Look at the clock. Well, no, it's only halfway to halfway to halfway. And it seems like the end point just keeps getting further away. So the key we're trying to find here is what's known as the middle way, which is the balance between not on one hand resisting, pushing away, denying, but also not just following, falling into reactivity and trying to get rid of the pain immediately. We're really trying to encourage an attitude of kind curiosity to whatever your experience is. And with this repeated strengthening of kind curiosity, over time our capacity to be with more and more of our experience gets stronger. So earlier today in the 8.30 instructions and in the sitting before lunch, Greg gave us guidance in the use of mental noting as a tool, just that soft whisper to help you stay connected with your experience. And this can be particularly powerful when we're working with discomfort. And there's just a couple of things I'd like to say about the language of the mental noting the first aim with it is to be as non-conceptual as possible. So we're trying to be with the immediacy of our physical experience exactly as it is. So we're wanting to name it almost from the inside, as it were, rather than overlaying concepts on top of it. So in uh, classical Mahasi insight practice, we don't even refer to the anatomy of the body so much because when you're sitting and meditating, is there a thing called hand that you can actually know as hand? Hand is a kind of a shorthand concept for a particular region of the body. But when we're actually meditating, we might just know sensations of warmth, pressure, hardness, touching, vibrating, and so on. And of course, in everyday language, we use these words because they're useful. But in terms of exploring here on retreat, it can be a very interesting practice to try to just come to the immediacy of our experience. And in a similar way, with this language of mental noting, we tend to see, see what it's like to let go of personal pronouns. Words such as I and me and my and mine. Again, so we can just stay with the immediacy of the experience. So, for example, you might notice quite a difference if I was to describe my experience right now. In using more conventional language, I might say, 
you know, my foot really hurts. It's that big toe again. It's really painful. I always get that pain right there. It's because of that stupid shoe, those stupid shoes I bought a few years ago. I knew they were two sizes too small. I wish I hadn't let that pushy saleswoman talk me into it. You know, if that was the U.S., I could probably have sued her for getting a bunion. I wonder what my rights are as a consumer here. That might be worth exploring when I get out of here. So you might notice that going straight from pain into concepts, that's a classical example of proliferation. On the other hand, if I was to practice mental noting just without the I, me, my, or mine, and without the concepts, it might just sound like this. Awareness of heat, hardness, pressure, pulsing, heaviness, tingling, lightness, moment of release, throbbing, throbbing, and so on. So when you heard these two different styles of reporting, what did you notice? What kind of difference, maybe even in your own bodies and minds as you heard them? Anybody notice anything in particular? No proliferation. No proliferation in the second example, yeah. Um, contacted with direct experience? Yes, direct experience rather than the story about it. <coughs> so that's what I'd like to offer us um, some practice with right now. And because of the time of day and the warmth in the room, I'd like to do this working together in pairs. This doesn't mean we're going to be sharing deep, personal, intimate secrets or anything like that. We won't be making lots of eye contact. It'll be an opportunity to practice mindful speaking and listening. And all you will be doing is taking it in turns to name out loud for three minutes each what you're aware of in your body in the way that I was just describing. So that's the option. That's the invitation to do it in pairs. If you really would prefer just to uh, do your own practice, that's fine. You can stay present and just keep your eyes downcast. So then in a few minutes when we move into finding partners, we'll know that you might want to be doing it by yourself. So I know quite a few of you have done these kind of um, meditation practices with me. If you have done this before, it will be helpful if you could raise your hand. Yep. And then people who haven't done it before, you might like to pair with somebody who has. Not everyone's going to, it's not going to work out nice and neatly, but as a general invitation. So I invite you now just to find a partner and then set yourselves up together, preferably either both on chairs or both on the floor. And then I'll guide you through this step by step. Okay, so taking a moment just to find yourself a partner. <laughs> 